Welcome to the Wholehearted Eating Podcast, where non-diet nutrition, weight-inclusive care, and integrative health collide. We're your hosts, Dana Montes and Christina Hoyt, licensed integrative clinical nutritionists and body image coaches. And we believe you deserve to have a joyful relationship with food in your body, even if you have a chronic health condition or symptoms that just won't quit. On this show, together and with our guests, we're bringing the real talk, no BS5, with tangible tools to help you pursue health and wellness without obsession or restriction. Remember our disclaimer, this podcast is meant for general information purposes only and should not be taken as a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Welcome back to the Wholehearted Eating Podcast. This is Christina, and I am interviewing Zoe Bisbee from Your Body Positive Home. As parents, we've worked really hard to create a more body positive and food neutral environment for our kids. However, during the holidays, it just seems like we often find ourselves surrounded by family members who may not share the same values or have caused harm in the past to us personally or even to our kids. This can leave us feeling really protective of our children and wondering how to navigate these complex situations. In today's episode, we're going to explore some ways that parents can help their children prepare for family gatherings during the holidays. And this couldn't be a better time as we're all probably heading to family right now. These kinds of conversations about food and body image can be really tricky to navigate, and we'll discuss the importance of setting boundaries and provide practical advice on maintaining those boundaries, even when we're faced with family members who may not be entirely respectful of them. All right, guys, let's dive in. But I am excited about when we're talking because I feel like it's such an important uh, time of year. And I think a lot of things come up around the holidays right now, especially when it comes to family gatherings, food stuff, eating things, body stuff, like all of the things. So before we like jump headfirst into the conversation, I would love for you to share a little bit about who you are and what you do and all of the things for people who don't know who you are. Sure. So I'm Zoe Bisbing and uh, I'm a psychotherapist. I specialize in eating disorders and people across the lifespan, kids and adolescents in particular. Um, And I am a mom of three myself. And um, I also, I guess I, I, I do as much prevention work as I do intervention work. So I run a practice called Body Positive Therapy NYC, which is sort of like the day job. And then by night <laughs> or whenever I have a chance to post on social media, um, I, I run a another organization called Body Positive Home, which was formerly the Full Bloom Project. And it's really an eating disorder prevention initiative. Um, sometimes I struggle to figure out what it actually is because I feel like it's so much more than eating disorder prevention. I really believe that so many of us that are raising kids have kind of just grown up with our own bullshit baggage around body and food. And it sort of makes it feel really hard to feed kids without anxiety and sort of raise kids. And, you know, given my experience working in eating disorder treatment, I've just been very committed and obsessed with uh, arming parents and teachers with what they need, I think, to 
do their best to prevent eating disorders, promote positive body image, and heal themselves while they're at it. And so that's my prevention work with body positive home where I do a fair amount of public speaking and educating. No small feat, you know, at all. <laughs> no, that's that's my that's my side hustle. Like, <laughs> you know, it's interesting that you say about um eating disorder prevention because I think that's like a an important thing to to elaborate on a little bit around what does that mean exactly to you? And as you're building this body positive home, um, what does it mean to do eating disorder prevention type work? Yeah, I mean, as an eating disorder therapist that works with kids and teens and families, I am a big believer that parents don't cause eating disorders. And by that logic, you could say they can't prevent them either. It's like we can't cause them and we can't prevent them because, you know, there's so many factors that go into why an individual develops an extreme preoccupation with food, weight, um, you know, the medical complications and just the psychiatric reality of an eating disorder. So they're multifactorial illnesses, but what I'm pretty clear on is that most people have some low-grade disordered eating and body dissatisfaction, right? So there's this big spectrum, as you know. Um, And so I think about eating disorder prevention as increasing awareness in people about not just what eating disorders are, although that's part of it, but increasing people's awareness around the role they can play in a young person's life to either intentionally or unintentionally increase risk factors for the development of negative body image and food preoccupation or intentionally increase protective factors. So I'm a realist. And because I'm aware of the genetic reality of certain people's like just wiring and even circumstances and the culture is a shit show, right? But, (laughs) you know, if we can be actively engaging in what I call prevention, right? Which is to me the kind of foundational scaffolding of a body positive home. At at best, we could actually offset the development of a disorder in a young person. And I think at worst, we can do early detection, right? Because if you're working your ass off like on prevention, but you know that like at best, your kid is maybe still going to develop some kind of issue because again, there's there's a lot of reasons for why a kid develops an eating issue. Um if you're oriented and you're sort of building this body positive home and in integrating all these prevention strategies, you're in the best possible place to capture the problem before it even becomes a huge problem. And most of the time, people miss the problems because they're hard to catch. So prevention is a you know umbrella term, but it means different things for different families. Yeah, I think that's such a great point too, is that one, I think let's take the, the self shame and guilt around if your child ends up with an eating disorder as if it's your fault. And that I really appreciate that you're saying that um, we can't cause nor can we, you know, uh, prevent entirely the onset of an eating disorder in our children or even disordered eating type 
tendencies in our kids, but I really appreciate what you're saying about the more we're working on this idea of prevention, the more likely we are to to see some of the early signs so that we can support our kids and support ourselves ultimately, you know, and support the family to have this, as you're saying, a body positive home. And I think one of the things that I'm like thinking about as you're talking about that is how do you then how do you then like support the acknowledgement of some of these preventative type of steps that you can make if maybe you personally are struggling with something or you haven't seen it yet or you don't really realize the culture that we live in you just think well this is the culture that we live in and i'm going to protect my child from the harms of that culture i.e i'm going to try to make sure that their body is in like a quote-unquote acceptable size Mm -hmm. how do you help a parent go from over there on the spectrum there to how do i create a more understanding relationship with food and body and more flexible and inclusive experience it's i mean it's a wonderful (laughs) question it's so expansive like um i think you're naming in some ways the challenge maybe like i i mean there's so many ways to go with that question right i think if I'm really zoomed out on the question, I think I'm thinking about how it's sometimes very hard to bring the people into the work that perhaps most need it because Mm -hmm. perhaps they're just so entrenched in what you're describing. I think there's a type of parent who brings that very question to me, right? And that's that's just, I love this parent, you know, who says something just like that. Like, I want my child to be accepted in this world. Like in theory, I had a parent once say to me, I can't let my daughter be my personal feminist project. And (laughs) oh my gosh, I thought about that. And, you know, and she was saying like, I believe in all this. And she's also in middle school in a larger body having a shitty time. Like, what am I supposed to do? And you know, it's an interesting dilemma, right? Because I think it's an instinctive thing, even among parents that are well-informed about the predatory nature of diet culture and even parents that have been in their own recovery, you know, like I think to say, well, my kid is suffering, like they will, they will suffer less if I could just help them shrink their body. I mean, I want to just wrestle with that question with parents. Like, I don't want to tell you, I know what's best for your child because I don't, you know, but I do know that you want the best for them. And, you know, I know as a therapist, I know that the people that have suffered the most are the people that don't feel like they know who they are or they don't feel like they can just be authentically themselves. I don't even just mean in their authentic genetic body blueprint, you know, like Mm -hmm. just, you know, because I think in some ways when when we're eating in a way to sort of shrink our body to conform, which I think is like a well-meaning attempt at support, right? Mm -hmm. I think that this is really clamping down on this child's ability to be a full person. And no parent that loves their kid doesn't want their child to be a full person. I think that's why originally we called it the full bloom project because it's this idea of like, blooming in full, you know, Mm -hmm. like being a full person with full access to your intuition and your creativity and your, you know, your values. 
Um, but I think that once parents are just a little curious, even if they just say, oh, body positive home, what's that? Um, I think I want a body positive kid because people sometimes think that means a kid that feels positively about their body. It's not exactly what it means, but I'll take it, you know, <laughs> to get them in the door. Um, and then I think it's, I just want to, to parents to feel more comfortable wrestling with the hard questions because this is all very tricky, but I want to make like prevention methods accessible so that we can be prioritizing flexibility, let's say over restraint. Yeah, no, I really appreciate. I think you're right. There's so, so many factors and ways that you could go about that question. So it was no easy question. <laughs> Not an <laughs> no, easy topic. It was a good one. I just didn't expect it. <laughs> but it's like, you know, how we have, I think one of the things too is I, I'm thinking about the holidays coming up too. And I'm thinking about parents who are going into these family gatherings and they know maybe the kind of environment that they grew up in and the things that they did to protect themselves during those family gatherings. And they want to do that same type of stuff with their own children to protect them from certain types of, you know, food and our body talk. Can we talk a little bit about some of the challenges of family gatherings overall when we have children, when it comes to, let's say we're at this place where we're we're all in. We're like, yes, I totally want a body positive home. I know the harms of diet culture. Now do I what do I do when other people are starting to infiltrate our little positive body bubble? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> Another enormous question. Um, yeah, I think it depends. I mean, I agree with you. They, they tend to be kind of minefields, especially, you know, I, I suppose the different fami families are just complicated. And if you're bringing multiple generations together, there's that element too. You know, I mean, there is a sort of intergenerational trauma around dieting. And, you know, um, so if you round up, three generations in one room. It's like not everyone's always going to be on the same page. This said, I some of my favorite messages are from someone who screenshots a, a picture of a text exchange they had with their mom, like on behalf of their kid, you know, and, and sort of bringing grandmas on board with all of this. And yeah. I have that going with my own mom, who's recovering from all of her own crazy diet shit, who's learning with me how to do better for my kids than she did for me. Um, but I think it's vast, right? Because it also depends on how are, how are your interpersonal effectiveness skills? You know, like a lot of this is about boundary setting. A lot of this is about like speaking your values. So, you know, not letting comments just fly at you without standing up. It, it, it depends on what it is. You know, I think that thinking about these events as minefields that are kind of ripe um, for whatever you want to call them, diet culture darts or body shaming, food shaming comments. I think you have to be at all times really focused on who's my kid, where are they at with all of this? What do they need from me in order to make sure that this event is actually just net positive and not uh, an increasing risk? And that's going to look really different for each family. You know, uh, that's going to look different for each of my three kids because each of them are going to need something different from me. Um, you know, the oblivious skinny boy is not necessarily going to need as much protection from me 
as I don't know my if I this is hypothetical, but like um, my prepubescent girl who's chunking up, you know, maybe getting ready to go through puberty, really interested in sweets and excited to you know bake and cook and 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 maybe she's a target for a fat phobic grandma in the room who's going to tell her to eat a little more salad. Like this kid needs me to protect her. Not that boys don't need protection; they do. I I don't mean to say it like that, but. You know, and same with like my six month old baby, like that kid's not going to necessarily need as much protection. So I think it's like this kind of three dimensional chess of like, you know, what do I, where do I need to defend and where do I need to, you know, yeah, redirect it. And then for some people, I think there's really hard decisions. Like there are situations where I might counsel somebody like not to go. If, but again, you know, without specifics, it's almost impossible yeah. to answer because they're all so different. They're the arrangements. Absolutely. I think that's such a good point, too, because it is different each time. And I think even myself included in this, I I work in this field. I'm an, and my whole family knows what I do, you know, and I still feel like even then it's like I you choose your battles. Right. And they don't really understand what we do because they're not doing the work, too. So unless they're doing the work alongside, they're not really going to know everything. And so to me, I've always approached it more about what's age appropriate for my child to support them. And how do I navigate that with them? As my daughter is turning five, she's coming home from school and saying, you know, so and so told me that um, that's junk food. All right. Well, let's talk about what do you think junk food is? You know, what do you think they meant by that? And then how do you then gear them up for what that looks like and how to talk to them about it and what they're taking from it? I sometimes think I don't like answering questions that aren't being asked from my five, <laughs> from my five year old sometimes. Like sometimes I, cause then I think it implants the idea sometimes. And so to me, I always love to ask them how do you feel about that or what do you think about what was said here or um what does that mean you know what does junk mean and a lot of times you know she said i don't really know like i don't really know what that meant i'm like well you know it meant garbage like would i ever feed you garbage food's not garbage you know right. she's like ew no like right. yeah we're not eating food out of the trash can you know like we're not eating garbage and we're not eating you know so i was like so why would we call like our little snack junk it's not junk you know you know, and, and, you know, on the other side, I have three kids and one of my kids, I don't know, I think I was, I was sort of trying to get there with them a while ago and I started like having kids and trying to do prevention or whatever. And I think at one point they were just like, it's okay to call it junk food. It like, it's fine. We don't know we're we, essentially, they were like, we know we're not bad for eating it. Yes. You know what I mean? And, and, and. I, I, you know, I think so again, you know, I agree. And I think that's sort of the, the, like, yeah, we, we shouldn't be calling food junk because exactly like you said, and it, we don't want to increase that dichotomous thinking for kids, good food, bad food. I hate those food sorting exercises that kids are doing in schools. And, but, but I also think it has to do with who your child is. Like, if you're getting to know your child and you're realizing that they are evolving into someone for all of the myriad factors that make a person a person and right, that they can sort of tolerate that language. Like, Oh, I really want some junk food. Yummy. Like, but, and you're noticing that for them, it's not actually making a problem, right. That they're not getting into trouble with that term. I think then you say, okay, well, I'm not going to like, 
fixate on that because I don't perceive your use of the word junk food for you as a problem, right? But that's sort of the minutia of getting to know our our children. I think in going to events with family or or just part, like especially around the holidays, there's just the normalization of uh, all of that rhetoric around like, oh, I've eaten so much, I have to work it off or I'm like, it's conversations like that that are just so, they're just the anti-fat bias in them is so high. And in one way, it's like you just want to be able to like decrease the volume of all of that for your kids. Mm-hmm. And I do think that's then that then there's the more aggressive comments that are made, which I I do think that we have to intervene when those happen. You know, it's one thing if if you if your kid overhears somebody say something, which by the way can increase risk. It's another thing if somebody says something to your kid, you know, which is just completely inappropriate. And they they do need us. I think that's like a kind of paradigm shift. I think a lot of us grew up being taken to events and shit being said to us or around us. And there was no sort of framework to understand that we have to set limits around that. Whereas I really want people to cope ahead because we, we, we do have to set limits around that. We do have to make sure that it's actually an emotionally and psychologically safe environment for our kids to be in. And not all of these gatherings will be. I think that's a really interesting concept that you mentioned about coping ahead. I'd love for you to elaborate on that a little bit. Yeah. I mean, again, it will look different depending, but you know, if I know I'm taking my kid to a a gathering where like, I know I have family members that are just like, they just talk a lot about diets or maybe they're they are really free with commenting on the other, like the kids' bodies, like the younger Mm -hmm. generation's bodies. And let's say that I had a kid, like I'll reference the hypothetical child from before, like who's sort of starting to go through puberty, who's maybe gained a lot of weight in that year. I might cope ahead by maybe saying to the, let's say it's a, it's a grandma, like, like, listen, she's gained a lot of weight in the past year. Like you'll notice her body looks different. Um, She's doing great. And she's probably about to go through puberty. Like, it's really important more than ever that we don't make any comments about her body or her food choices, but I'm flagging for you that she does look different because I think that's a way that you can kind of protect your kid by naming what is just factual. Like her body did change and you saying something about it would be very harmful. Now you could say that preemptively, even if your kid's body didn't change, um, if your kid, I don't know, shot up a lot and ended up losing weight, and maybe you were like a little curious, maybe you're in the process of monitoring them to make sure that they are doing well, that they're not restricting, you're not sure, you don't want that kid showing up to the same event and getting praise for their body, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So you might cope ahead and say like, she's grown a lot, her body's leaned out a lot, I'm actually not quite sure yet if this is just her body doing its thing or if she's flirting with an eating disorder, I don't know, but I'm really protective of her. Please don't comment on her body. It might be really tempting to say, oh, you look so beautiful. You look so great. But I fear that that might be unhelpful. So being able to cope ahead in those ways, I think around body changes is an example of what I think would be useful. Yeah, that's such a great idea looking at it 
in it, like in advance and thinking ahead about what could possibly come up. And especially around like, well, also too, like not what could possibly come up, because if you did that, you'd be talking to everybody for like weeks before the actual, which is not realistic. It's not realistic. It's not going to happen. But thinking about maybe if you do have a child who could be really um, sensitive to that or at a really impactful age where that could really um, set them up, or like you said, um, kind of lead them down that road, or they're already kind of leaning down and it could nail on the coffin a little bit, like lead them full into it, um, or reinforce that type of behavior. Um, it's really important to think about that coping ahead type of thing. And then for the children where it's not so much of an issue, to me, the most important thing is your home environment, you know, like when we come home, what's it like? Or if my child, my five-year-old comes up to me and I hear my mom, as I've heard before at family gatherings, well, yeah, you can have another cookie. You ran around a lot today. And I'm like, oh, mm-hmm. ew, <laughs> like ew to me, but also whatever. I'm not going to like go on some no. kind of crusade about this every single time. Otherwise, I'd be constantly fighting with my family members and it's more important for me what Elodie says to me, my five-year-olds, if my child says to me or your child says to you, oh, can I have that? I ate, I ran around a lot today. It's like, you don't have to run around to have a cookie. Yeah. Enjoy your cookie, whatever. Totally. I agree with you. And I think that's why it's all so nuanced because, you know, I mean, everybody's going to have their own kind of like what quota for how many people <laughs> we need to talk to before yeah. we're just like, I think... I think I've done as much um, preemptive coping ahead as I can. Now we're going to just go with it. Um, And exactly. That's why the body positive home is so essential. Like coming back to a place where, you know, I I talk about like healthy cognitive dissonance. Like I, I want, even if I'm annoying about it, like I want to be so outspoken in my values about, you know, food and body inclusion that when they go out into the world and they hear what's much more normal, right? This sort of more anti-fat rhetoric or diet mentality that they'll at least have some sense of like, well, that doesn't, that doesn't jive quite with what I heard at home, right? Like just a little tension is sometimes Mm -hmm. enough to at least help with the critical thinking. Um, Because I don't think we can prevent you know, you're talking about eating disorders, but like, I don't even think we can prevent kids from like the fear of being fat or the desire not to be fat. And I don't even think we should be trying. I don't think that's the goal. I think that that's sort of futile because we can't control all the variables that go into a child's life. Um, But we can be prepared for it and help them and hopefully one, build relationships with them that are really trusting and connected such that they want to talk to us, right? And then two, help them orient to thoughts and feelings differently, right? so yeah, I agree with you. Like let people say what they say. And and I think especially with older children, especially if you're uh, annoying enough about your values and how you feel about like all foods being equal and everything, if somebody makes a comment, you it, what a great go- goal to get to a place where you could just look at your kid's eyes, you know, <laughs> like when at the buffet and someone's saying, oh my gosh, this is so unhealthy. What a goal to just be able to look at your 11 year old and be like, oh, and like roll your eyes with them quietly yeah. just to be like, I see you. I've connect- connected with you. You enjoy your food. Like sometimes it's as subtle as that, you know? Yeah. 
Or even like in the case of us, I love that about having that relationship with them so that they can feel it from you. I think that's the most important thing. And being able to look at you from across the room and kind of eye roll like, oh, that again, you know, or even having your child say to their grandparents like mine and saying like, I don't need to run around to have a cookie. Mm-hmm. Like, Perfect. You know, yes. like how I would be like, yes, way to yeah. go. You know, I would be totally. like, that's, that's what it's, I know. won that battle. <laughs> like, like, yeah. <laughs> or, or to the, just be like, well, grandma, that doesn't make any sense and move on. <laughs> you know, yeah. like, like, why would you need to, that doesn't make sense. Whereas a kid that's growing up in an environment where no one's questioning all of that has no choice, but to Mm-hmm. believe that right whereas like if you're the most trusted grown trusted grown up in their life you know you can always like, i love the stance it's sort of like yeah like grandma has some old ideas like yeah we don't think that way anymore you know i think that's another way to to phrase it too like that's just we it's just not how we think we think yeah and to be honest i mean i think at some point they're allowed to think however they want to think about certain things too which is complicated and that would be hard to Hard to to work through as a as a family as well. And totally. and totally. but I think yeah, it's it's complicated. And I think you're right. It, it really does depend on the age and the circumstances and what your child's unique needs are and being able to have that kind of ongoing connected relationship with them to be able to navigate that thoughtfully and in some ways even sometimes strategically around that. I'd love to hear a little bit more about, so on your Instagram, you talk a lot about positive eating attitudes. And I think this is more of like a nitty gritty and like the how to build a body positive home. Um, If you can share a little bit about that, I really loved how you said it's about how we feed our kids and, and how that can impact their, their, their body image as it grows. Can you talk about that? Yeah. I I wonder if I'll, I could maybe give an example um, as like a sort of illustration. Um, So my three-year-old was, you know, she's three and a half and she wanted to make her own peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And I was like, okay, you know, I mean, I, I think any opportunity to give kids a chance to experiment with food, play with food, prepare food, you know, as a dietitian, like it's just incredibly positive, right. For their relationship with food. The autonomy, amazing, right? She wanted to use a spreader, great, small motor. Um, and so she put the peanut butter on and then she, you know, she's three and a half. So she needs like to make sure she has abundance at any time. This is like, she needs to have it all. So she took the jam and she put some on and then I took the jam. Cause to me, I perceived that to be enough jam for a three and a half year old who had already had like, ice cream for lunch, you know, like it it had been one of those days. And I was, you know, thinking I want to, you know, be sensible here and like put just a nice smear of jam. We don't, well, she was very upset and screaming. It was not enough jam. It was not enough jam. And I was like doubling down on it because I was thinking, no, this is enough jam. I promise this relates to your question. My husband who Actually, I have to give him credit. He was like, what's the problem? Like, okay, you want more jam? So he took the jar out of the the fridge and he said, how much do you think you should have? You know, she proceeded to put a ton of jam on this sandwich. Like it was more than I ever would have put. But she then she stopped. She put the thing and she felt very proud of the sandwich she made. 
And then she took her sandwich and a glass of milk to the table, had one bite of the sandwich and was full. And that was it, right? And the sandwich is now in the fridge and hopefully she'll eat it like tomorrow. (laughs) But I say this because I think that as parents, well-meaning parents, like we want our kids to eat, quote, the right amount of things. And it's not inappropriate for me to like not want my three-year-old to just be in charge of her sugar consumption. Like she's not in charge of any of that. Like she's three and a half, you know, she can't (laughs) even reach the milk, you know, it's like, but in that moment, my husband was able to see the bigger picture, which was, I was focusing on not allowing her to have too much of the jam. He was able to pull back and say, let her make her sandwich her way. Let's have this be a positive eating experience. Of course, she ate one bite. She's three and a half. Like she, this was just what she needed. So she needed the right amount of abundance for her to feel secure. Anyway, this is one of millions of examples of where when we're feeding our kids, we do want, I think, in a body positive home to prioritize their feeding, the feeding relationship that we have with them and their positive eating attitude. I want my daughter to want to make more sandwiches for herself. I want her to want to come to the table and eat her sandwich with her family. Like, I want her to feel confident and secure around food, right? And I do believe, and I know you do too, that the more we focus on that and the more we do our jobs to create the structure, which we can talk about, because structure is essential as well, and we let our kids practice what they get to practice, then the the nutrition balances out. Like it's all, it's all good. You know, it's like if we don't even have to focus on it nearly as much as we want to focus on the positive relationship, because if I had doubled down on that, double down past tense on that (laughs) jam, maybe nothing big deal would have been one off. Right. Sometimes we just say no, no more, but I'm sort of missing the bigger picture, which is to promote this positive relationship, which is not the same thing as a free for all either. So I think it's, it's tricky, but um, it's everything because when we assess for eating disorders, we're assessing eating attitudes and the yeah. shittier the eating attitude, the more likely we have an d- eating disorder. So let's focus on the positive eating attitude for prevention. I really love that because you're right. When we are assessing for eating disorders, we're looking at the attitude towards eating, towards their body and towards all of these, all these factors that come into it. And so focusing on creating these positive experience of you know, right. You're, you're absolutely right. It could be a one-off experience where you're like, whatever you, you took the jam away and everyone went on with their day and they never felt anything from it ever again. Totally. But as they get older and like, let's say that's like a built-in pattern of always having that happen. Then, you know, as they get older, the thought pattern of comparing to others starts to creep in. Like how much jam is everyone else putting on there? Am I, do I, is it wrong that I want to have more jam on my plate? And like, all these types of things. And I don't want parents to listen to this and be like, oh, shit, now I'm doing everything. (laughs) I'm doing everything wrong. And I think one of the things that makes it, I find this this balance to be really difficult is you're right, because there is this, this balance between allowing for this positive eating experience and for having that type of like seeing the big picture and allowing that to happen. And then also at the same time, how do I not 
have it be like a free for all. And next thing you know, your four year olds calling on the shots and they shouldn't be like, they're not in charge of, of what's going on. Like, you know, 90% of the time, you know? No. And it, <laughs> I, I totally agree. And I, I feel for parents in this because um, it's really hard. You know, I have a lot of parents say, I, I want them to be an intuitive eater, but all they do is eat all the sweets. And I'm like, I don't even, we have so many questions to ask, right? When we hear <laughs> that, because I do think of feeding kids like, like a go-kart course, like we are the bumpers, like we have <laughs> to create these like structures, right? And then we do have to let the kids drive, but we're not putting them on the highway in, you know what I mean? We're, we have bumpers. And so, <clears throat> excuse me, some of the bumpers, like the, the sort of you know, I think we think about like Ellen Satter's, the division of responsibilities, which yeah. I think is like a really important framework. Like I get to do the what, the where, the when, and the how. I like to think about, are we doing family style? Um, are we all having something different at a food court? Like, I think we get to do that. I also think of how is also modeling, like us modeling a healthy relationship with food is really important. Mm -hmm. uh, and then so long as we're doing all that, you know, let, let the kid do their thing, right? Eat, don't eat, stop when they're full. And, and I think what's great about the model is that it really allows you to see if there's a trend of a problem because a kid that really is only eating the same thing every time or or the dynamic is so stressful and dysfunctional, even though you're doing all the quote right things that you might need extra help. This kid might have some kind of challenge or need extra support, learning how to accept new foods or getting their nutritional needs met with more limited palate because of maybe some sensory issues. Like we, we have to have some kind of framework so that we can both give our kids the best shot and also help us best evaluate if there is a problem. But no, I'm not going to give my daughter the jam jar all the time. But maybe maybe I would give her the jam jar because she's really into like feeding herself in that way or like preparation, right? But I think what I would do is hang back and watch if she keeps getting the jam jar to make the sandwich at what like what ends up happening. My guess is she develops just a lot of trust with herself and jam. And decides, <laughs> you know, or I might say you can only have one piece of bread for this sandwich because last time we did two pieces of bread, you took one bite. So let's start with one. I might mm -hmm. say something like that. You know what I mean? But um, but anyway, I mean, this, this is a big topic. No, I know. It's, I mean, there's courses about this. Yes. <laughs> there's, there's, there's degrees about this. I know. Exactly. There's degrees and everything just on this exact topic. So I think it's important to know that this is just a little podcast and we're talking yes. and diving into parts of it. And, you know, there's so many, you know, offshoots of nuances and all the different areas and everything like that. I think what's, what's interesting and what's important for people to kind of, to take from this is that we do get to set some boundaries around how we're going to navigate certain types of things. And I think for, for my daughter, one of the things that I've noticed the most is um, is she's a little bit like me where I love to have control over things. And she's also like, where's my control? And so, and so where like, and I think sometimes when I see certain stuff happening, like she's going for so much of one thing, I'm like, oh, but we only have so much jam left. I'm like, oh, well, that's my stuff. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, wow, we can always get more. Like it's, 
not the end of the world. Like everything's going to be fine. And I think sometimes I have to check myself. And I think most parents, that's like a really important note to look into of like what, I guess this is where like the responsive feeding part comes in. Totally. Right. It's being able to kind of acknowledge and see a little bit of, okay, how can I respond to what maybe the bigger need is here versus like, what am I, what kind of outcome am I trying to drive right now? Am I trying to force them to not have as much jam or what is the goal here with each meal? I think it's actually uh, to build on that. I think about what is the long-term goal too, Mm -hmm. because I, I, I think about it as like finding the road to reason, right? Because in any given moment, I could get sucked in in that moment. I didn't want her. I I was definitely thinking about the amount of sugar she had consumed that day. You know, it was Halloween, like all of it, right? Like the normal things. And that, but the way it played out, I was able to zoom out and be like, and and see, oh no, this is a three and a half year old child. My goal is for when she's, you know, 19 to be able to like go to the grocery store and grab jam and peanut butter and bread and fruit and cookies and chips and whatever she's in the mood for and, and like know how to bring it home and make a sandwich and connect to her body. Like that's my goal. And Mm -hmm. how does this moment relate to that? Well, I have to keep my eye on the longer term, right? That's the positive eating attitude. That's the responsive feeding. That's sort of dealing with the child before me. And I think limits are a huge part of that. Like my boys have been, um, they're a little older, they're nine and seven, but they've been enjoying all the Halloween candy. And I've actually noticed like some, one of them sort of losing interest. Like he keeps asking for a dessert. I'm like, we have all the Halloween candy. And he's just like, I think I've had enough of that. Like there's just so much. And then, But they're, but they're eating a lot of it. And last night, I think I said something like, okay, like last call, like pick, pick what you want. And then I got, I got to put it away because we were like getting ready for that night to end. So I felt like it was another one of those moments where I'm, I'm trying to both create abundance and also do my job, which is to say, essentially the equivalent of kitchens closed, which I think is sort of a, a platitude that doesn't always work for people. Um, but to be able to take up your authority and in some way, right? Mm-hmm. You have to be the bumper in some way, but we also just want to make sure that we're not making choices rooted from a place of, I don't want my kid to be fat or I don't want, you know what I mean? Like you were saying about the control. Like if we want to preserve a positive relationship with food and body long-term, it's just this this constant like dance we're doing of trying to evaluate where do I need to let them lead, you know, drive and where do I need to be, be the, the, the bumpers? Yeah, exactly. And I think the thing that I, I find to be hard is that, you know, there's so many things in our, that we're responsible for as parents to try to, to manage and to protect and to do all these different parts that we tend to, I think sometimes we double down in food in parts in places in the food experience that we really don't belong. And, but we feel like it says something more about us than it does really about them. Like the way they interact with food says something about us as parents. And I think sometimes when we take a step back and say, what is my goal here? Or what's coming up for me right now? Not so much for them, like what with how your husband was able to say, like, 
what's the problem? Like what, why can't we do this? Or what's the big deal? And you being able to be like, oh shoot. Yeah. I'm doubling down on something that maybe doesn't need to be doubled down, but maybe I know that we're having soup in about an hour and we're going to do these other things. And I don't want like that meal to be quote unquote spoiled. And there's a lot of things to think about. And I think for me with parents, one of the things that I, I find to be helpful is creating those with creating those bumpers is around engaging and including the child in a lot of those kinds of conversations and letting her know, like saying, Hey, you know, I love that you're making your sandwich, but let's also keep in mind that we're going to be having dinner in a little bit. And so why don't we cut the sandwich in half? And if you want, you'll eat half of the sandwich now. And if you're still hungry by the time that we're done, we'll have the rest of it with dinner, which is going to be in like an hour. And so you can kind of give of that information without scarcity, like, oh, we're not taking away the candy or not taking away the sandwich or we're not taking away the jam. We just might have information that they don't have because we're in charge of managing the whole home and moving the day along and all the different pieces of that puzzle. And so I think, I think something around that I, I think can be helpful when you're trying to figure out what is my outlook here and what is my game plan and what am I trying to, what's coming up for me? Am I feeling overwhelmed because I don't want my child's body to change and I'm having feelings about that? Okay, let me take a beat, think about that a little bit, remind myself that they're three and a half or five or six or nine and that today is just one day and this is just one meal and um, we can think about what would be the most positive eating experience for them and what that's going to look like. I agree. And I mean, I actually think that in all of that, uh, there's this opportunity for healing for ourselves. You know, I find that prevention for kids is in many ways like recovery for us. If we think about, you know, the large spectrum of disordered eating that afflicts, I think, most of us. Um, you know, if we're doing that for our kids or we're, I mean, on so many levels, the way we prepare food for them with like multiple components of things, I think can be very recovery oriented for us. But also exactly like thinking about the intention, the big picture, um, did something come up for me about my relationship to jam or mm -hmm. did something come up for me around the image of a child, like putting tons of something on their bread? Like, is that a little magic window into me, my work that I need to do, you know, in order to stay really food neutral, body neutral, and just affirming of this child rather than like allowing my anxiety to ooze out all over them? And might that anxiety be coming from a place of unfinished business for my own childhood? You know, so there, yeah. this brings up a lot of healing opportunities too. Yeah. And it, it does take a moment. It does take the ability to take a quick pause. And yes. I, I refer to that sometimes as like a, like a quick, like mindful pause about the situation and stepping back and saying, yes, okay, what is the purpose here? What's happening? Why am I feeling so activated by this? <laughs> so the road to reason is this, and I'll share the image with you. It's, it's the sort of like template that I have or a map in my mind that I want people to use in these moments. And I, what you said reminded me because step one, it's a four-step thing. Step one is to take a sacred pause. That's what it's like you were talking yeah. about. Re remember the long-term goal for my child. Step two, to ask yourself what's bubbling up 
and to name it and own it. Am I feeling anxious, afraid, revolted, disappointed, embarrassed? Like that shit comes up all the time in any given moment, right? Three, do a structure check. How's my feeding scaffolding holding up? Are there cracks? Because sometimes that is part of it. Mm-hmm. And then my fourth one is connect to protect. Ask myself, do they need a protective limit or do I need to chill the fuck out? That those are <laughs> the sort of two options. So it's I, so I was, honest. <laughs> with the jam, I needed to chill the fuck out, right? <laughs> but in other contexts, like a couple of weeks ago, my son had grabbed like like two or three fruit roll-ups. Like it was, it was like to me, I was like, what's going on? You know, and and I I was able to sort of do this. And I was able to realize with the structure check, we hadn't had dinner in like far too long. It was time for a meal. Connect to protect there. He did need a protective limit. It was dinner. I needed to yeah. make dinner. He didn't need to be told you've had enough fruit roll-ups. He was actually bravo. Like he figured out a way to feed himself. He was hungry. He reached for quick energy. He did it, you know? Mm-hmm. But I think that the limit is is not you've had enough now, you know, but rather what's the limit? Okay. I, do we need to put it away or is it time for dinner now? You know? Yeah. Um, or do I need to just be like, it's Halloween. It's like, let them be, you know? So anyway, mm-hmm. I'll send that to you because I think it's, no, I love it. I think people will really enjoy it. And it kind of creates that framework for how do I answer these questions and how do I check in with myself before I implement whatever it is that road I'm going to go down. I love the scaffolding idea too, because um, it reminded me with my daughter the other day, we've been experiencing a lot of very selective eating and it's been super triggering for me, a full disclosure of her like not wanting to eat anything. She's like, I don't like chicken anymore. I only like the skin of chicken. And I'm like, what is happening? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, like, like I'm a yeah, I'm a dietitian. <laughs> like, what do you mean? You like don't eat like chicken anymore? It's I felt like, you know, my that oh yeah, yeah, so many different references. But I feel like um it's been super triggering for me. I'm like, why isn't she eating dinner? And then come bedtime, she'd want like a bedtime snack. And like, there's this part of me that's like, well, I can embrace a bedtime snack. I know that we're, I'm modeling the behavior that I want to have. We're serving dinner. It's also, I know that there are safe foods available for her. So I finally turned to her and this is my five-year-old, you guys, like this is a five-year-old that I turned to. And I said, honestly, Elodie, I'm having a hard time figuring out what to feed you. You know, I was like, I'm having a hard time and I would love your help. So can you help me figure out what's happening at dinner time? Because come dinner, you're not hungry, you're not eating very much. But then about like, you know, after we're done with dinner and then after, as we get closer to bedtime, then you want something to eat and, you know, you'll have, you know, uh, a cheese stick and a piece of fruit and you're happy, go lucky and no problem. And so I said, I go, are you... I said, I'm wondering if you're not hungry at dinner time. And she goes, no, I'm not hungry at dinner time. Mm-hmm. And I said, oh, well, maybe we need to make dinner time 15, 20 minutes later, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, or then I t- had a conversation with her. I said, when you come home from school, you're very hungry, you know, or like, I feel like you're snacking a lot. And then I'll, I've said to her, I go, do you have a snack after lunch between lunchtime and pickup? And she says, no. I'm like, well, that's like a three and a half hour time frame between the two things. And so I said, why don't tomorrow I bring a snack? And she was a big snack. Yes. 
for when you pick me up. And I was like, okay, great. And then we'll do lunch, I mean, dinner a little bit later. And I, what I really loved about it was that it involved her. It helped me get to the bottom of what was going on. And she could share with me what was going on with her body. And I also think it made me, I hope it laid the foundation for her to know that I do trust her body, that I don't think something's wrong with her and that I need to force and that she needs to force feed herself the chicken and whatever else is on the table for dinner that night. But rather of, hey, I'm actually not hungry right now and I'm hungry at eight o'clock. I think it's great. I mean, and that to me sort of encapsulates this connect to protect. Like you have to feed and parent the child before you. Your relationship with her, you know, and someone else could try exactly that with their kid and it wouldn't work, you know, because of the sort of, because your unique relationship with your child, it's not meant to be compared to anybody else's, Mm -hmm. but the collaboration, and I think there's a lot of nuance here because, you know, we, we, I think what's beautiful about your um, anecdote is that you were able to both take up your authority and collaborate with her it's like reasonable collaboration, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas a lot of the time we get into these, uh, this almost like more authoritarian feeding or a, a loosey-goosey, like, I don't know, you know, feed, <laughs> make yourself something. And and to be so angry, I mean, God, I understand like being so frustrated <laughs> when they don't just eat it, you know? Um, just so eat I the th- damn dinner. <laughs> just eat the damn dinner. I mean, and 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 that and it's just so hard, you know, feeding kids, it's like, it's just really hard. Nobody told me like that, you know, and then there's just a lot of executive functioning skills that you need to have. And then the capacity to like clean it up and 100% use the food before it goes bad. Like there's just a lot in there that we, we sort of, that it's, it's just hard. And then if on top of it, you're like, and I want to focus on a positive feeding attitude. It's like, in a way we're sort of doing more, but I think that there's more room for peace. And, you know, anyway, I know we're almost done. Did you want to talk a little bit about the disarmament? I do. Yeah, I do want to talk about that. I would love for you. I think one of the things that I think a lot of parents are usually left with is always feeling like, okay, so what do I do? So I want to do this. I'm hearing your examples. I'm getting that. But I also know that my kids are different. What is something that I can do to kind of start to dip my toes into building this type of relationship and with food and their body? And can you give some guidance around that? Yeah, I do. I think that the I, I just originated this term disarming food pairings because I didn't think we had a language to describe exactly this. Um, so genuinely, all it is is if you take a food that you perceive to be healthy and you pair it with a food you perceive to be unhealthy, because I mean, even very intelligent adults organize food this way, right? Mm-hmm. Um you you've created in some ways eating disorder prevention and recovery on a plate. So you think about, you know, uh, avocado toast with a cupcake on the side, or, you know, obviously starting with foods that your kids accept because the project of food acceptance skill building is, is related, but different. We're not talking about that. But when I see, you know, a piece of pizza sitting right next to, I don't know, carrot sticks. I'm, I'm seeing an opportunity to neutralize food 
instantly, right? So our brains are used to thinking pretty weird things. Like if, oh, if I eat this salad with this quote junk food going full circle, it somehow cancels out the nutritional value of the healthy food. And I want to be eating healthy foods, but like we want to be decreasing risk for that categorical thinking around food, the good food, bad food. We want to be decreasing risk for orthorexia, which is like an obsession with healthy eating. We want to promote moral equivalency. Like that's, that's, different from being the bumpers in the feeding situation and you getting to choose what you're actually offering your kids. But for families that I have heard from that have leaned into the DFPs, as I call them, they get very excited because in a way, it's a way to build trust with your kids and for them to build trust with themselves. That if they're sitting there with you know, a sweet and a, and a whatever, some protein source on the plate, there's a belief, I think, that we imagine they're only going to eat the sweet. They would never go for the, quote, healthier food, right? But the reality is when kids are learning that, yes, there's nutritional differences maybe, but there's no morality here, right? Yeah. They actually, you'll see them zigzag between all the foods. And then it. I think it has this incredible healing uh, property for us because then we are in some ways using our feeding strategies and our, again, our prevention to essentially give ourselves eating disorder recovery, right? Because when you Mm -hmm. go to eating disorder treatment, when you're working with an eating disorder dietitian or therapist, this is what it is. It's making peace with food, right? And being able to have pizza and salad and ice cream and water, you know, like, and not have so much attached to it, right? But actually eat according to your your body's cues. So DFPs feel like a really easy in. And I get pictures from families all the time on social media, like sending me their DFPs where they'll, they like would never have imagined putting a cookie on their kid's plate at breakfast. But you, see, I get pictures with the kid having reaching over the cookie to pick up the egg because they're building trust. They, they maybe... I have one kid who always saves the dessert for the end. The other one always eats the dessert first, but it's sort of giving them an opportunity to build trust. And I think it's almost like the easiest way in to get started. Yeah, no, I love that. And I think it's so true. And I think, I think the, 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 I think the hard part about starting that is being able to take your own agenda out of it and what you want to have happen. And I think that is as my, own self. One of the hardest parts about it too, sometimes when you are doing this in practice, and I will say I have seen, I've been doing this with my daughter from day one, and it is fascinating to watch how she, she has been for me the most incredible experience of watching intuitive eating yes, and what it actually is. Um, from the onset and being able to really see it and be like, oh, wow, when it is paired all together in this neutral way, and I'm just putting the plate in front of her. And sometimes there's a build your own salad. And at the same time, we're also having French fries and chicken nuggets, and we're having everything all together. Watching the way that she interacts with the food is really cool. Sometimes it's, no, I'm not in the mood for that. But it does also build that trust for themselves to be able to answer that and also for you to observe like, oh, wow, they actually do choose different things based off of their desires at that time. 
if we continue to expose them to it. And I think that's really great. And I love that you came up with a term for it because there wasn't really a term. It's just always like serving it all together. And I never heard a term for it. No, I, I just, I don't even know why I thought of it, but it's sort of like, I think about it as disarming because it is for, for adults, it's disarming like to see it like that. Like it's disarming when we went to uh, a family gathering and my daughter and another three-year-old they were eating cake. And then my daughter said, uh, I want salmon because there had been salmon from Earl. <laughs> and I have this picture of these two little three-year-olds like just eating salmon and cake. It's like so weird, you know, <laughs> but for anyone that ever thought, you know, oh, my kid would never, it's like, well, you don't know if you actually pull back and you start from a place of just inherent body trust, right? And I want to say, and then I, 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 I'm patient waiting and I know you have to go. Um, I, I think that don't get disheartened if you you try this, but they still only eat the sweet. Because yeah. again, this requires a whole framework. You know, if, if you, I think the DFPs are sort of easy access, right? Like you could just today, you could give your kid a cookie and their favorite veggie on a plate and see what happens, right? And the more and more you do that, I think you you promote the moral, the more the food neutrality. But there's different reasons for why kids gravitate to different foods. It's not always that we're too scarce with them or we're too anxious. Sometimes, you know, kids that are, their palates can really only accept or tolerate familiar things. Like there's so many different variables, and I want people to get help if they need it. You know, social mm-hmm. media and podcasts is not really enough support for most no. people or for a lot of people. Um, so I say that, and then also I think DFPs are great for adults who are trying to recover too. One hundred percent. Put a little challenge food over there, you know. Like, yeah, it's a, a challenge little... food, exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Something that you know you ordinarily would not pair with that and see how it feels or not. I think also to like play around with the order in which you eat things and and see how that makes you feel too. Like if you are used to having pizza and a salad, but you would force yourself to eat the whole salad first before you'd have it, try taking the pizza and the salad and doing a pattern or playing around with the different ways in which you do it, I think can be really impactful and kind of like, like you said, disrupting that behavior that we fall into a lot. And a lot of it is just, you know, something that we do on autopilot. We don't even know why we do it half the time. No, it's true. Just even checking in and asking is like, what, what, what do I want to eat right now? Like, am I, do I want my first bite to be the tip of that cheesy, savory pizza? Or do I want my first bite to be the crisp, I don't know, watery and savory taste of my salad? Like not, not like not, one's not wrong or right, but what do you actually want versus what do you think you should do? You know, I I think that that's really key. Well, thank you so much. Um, Can you, as we wrap up, can you tell people where they can find you and all of the things? Definitely. Um, So the website is uh, bodypositivehome.com and the handle is uh, at mybodypositivehome on Instagram and sort of TikTok, but I can't, I'm too old for that. Um, Same. <laughs> I, I'm like, it's actually more u- user-friendly actually than, than Instagram. And yet I still can't get consistent, but anyway, uh, so at my body positive home or www.bodypositivehome.com. Awesome. Thank you so much, Zoe. 
friends, it's Dana, and thanks so much for listening to the Wholehearted Eating Podcast today. Find us on social media at Wholehearted Eating Pod on Instagram and at wholeheartedeating.com for more information about working with Dana and Christina for one-on-one nutrition counseling. If you love the show, we would love you forever if you share an episode with your family and friends or tag us on social media or leave a five-star rating or review wherever you listen to podcasts to help more people find the show. Check out patreon.com slash wholeheartedeating to help support the show and get access to ad-free episodes, bonus episodes with us and our guests, episode discussions, new resources we're creating for Patreon, and so much more. If you have questions for us, feedback on the show, potential topics or guests you'd love to have on, shoot us an email at hello at wholeheartedeating.com and we'll see you next week.